Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, January 17th, 2017. I am back on the podcast with Shaka because we got to talk about the games that went down this past weekend. Shaka, was that a ridiculous slate of games or what? Definitely have to say one of my favorite playoff games ever happened this weekend. I mean, yeah. dude, let's jump right into it. So for those of you who were living under a rock the last couple of days, uh, history was made between the Cowboys and the Packers. Uh, you know, bottom line, Packers won this game 34-31, but it was an instant classic. Go down in the record books, start videotaping it. You're going to be talking to your, your friends, your family, your kids, everybody about this game for years to come because it was epic. Um I've got plenty of thoughts about this, Shaka, but do you want to start us off? Tell me a few things that you took away from this game. Look, I watched this one with my girlfriend, and while she's not the biggest football fan, even she was on the edge of her seat. That is saying something. Right. We have, we have no... I'm a Jets fan, obviously. Everyone knows this at this point. I have no dog in this fight. And, you know, last week's podcast, we all went in saying the Cowboys are going to take this one. It was a nice run for the Packers, but it was over. Mm-hmm. Yet, lo and behold, we got fourth quarter, just drama. That the Cowboys not giving up. They're down um, by two touchdowns, and they're coming back, and they score, and they're just relentless. And just reminded, oh man, this is that Dallas team that's just pounded everyone in submission this year, and mm-hmm. they're waking up, you know. And it's just looking so, 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 so obvious, so expected what's going to happen with this outcome. But the Packers would not give up, dude. And I mean, it just. If you love football, there's no way you don't love that that game and that ending. Just dramatic all the way, right down to Mason Crosby nailing the field goal. And Friday, uh, Jason Garrett called a timeout. Mm-hmm. Trying to ice him, out. and it didn't work. It did not work. And comes right back out and kicks one and barely, barely, barely clears the uprights. For the victory. I mean, uh, just magical. Magical is what I want to articulate this game as. It's the, to see the Packers do what they did. I mean, especially with those field goals. But before I start ranting and raving about the Packers, let's talk. You know, let's have everybody enjoy the Dallas Cowboys. Their season. I mean, an amazing season for the record books. A game to go to be lived on for the ages. And I'm sure every Dallas fan out there is is hurting. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. We know what it's like to see a team lose on a grand stage like this. It hurts deeply. Um, but I want to praise the Cowboys a lot right now. I want to say, you know, it, it was. It didn't fully shock me to see the Packers jump out to the lead that they did. Um, and I was picking on, you know, I told you I was talking to you on uh, the, during the game as well. We were texting and we were talking about. I was poking fun at all our Cowboys fans. You know, Chase and Timothy and Lemur being like, "Hey, is it time to get Romo back here?" You know, once we were about getting to halftime and there had been another sort of stalled drive by Dak Prescott. I mean, Dak Prescott looked like a rookie in the first half, you know. Yeah. There were some questionable throws. There were some plays where clearly the front seven kind of interrupted his rhythm. And there was a real feeling like, okay, now we're on the big stage and it's starting to feel like the rookies are really showing their youth. But to see the Dallas Cowboys turn it around in the second half... To see them not go to Romo, but to see Dak Prescott throwing these pinpoint passes to Des Bryant. Des Bryant looked fantastic in this game. 
Ezekiel yeah. Elliott ran all over the place in this game. Everything that you could have expected a 13-3 and Dallas Cowboys team to do to keep them in the game, to give them a shot to go to this title game, uh, you know, was amazing. I mean, to see them come all the way back to tie the game. Let's not make a mistake. They were losing by 18 points, and they came all the way back and tied this game through great play by Dak Prescott, great play by Ezekiel Elliott, great play by the offensive line. I mean, everybody really stepped up. They just lost to one of the greatest football players who's ever graced this planet, which is Aaron Rodgers. Which is amazing. I, I, I had a lot of reflection time after this game to collectively think about franchise quarterbacks. And one of the questions asked myself was, when was the last time you went from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another Hall of Fame quarterback directly as the heir apparent? Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I can't remember the last time we've had that in the NFL besides Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean... And to think, I mean, just to think that Aaron Rodgers not only could be transcendent, can be just as good, if not arguably, a better quarterback than Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a realistic, you know, it's a realistic possibility now where I look at day-to-day, and I, I just, it's amazing just to see that one final pass to Jared Cook. Oh, my God. To kind of bring him down the field. Man, just... Just amazing. Amazing. Just the, the, the presence, just the, the sense of, you know, where to place the football has always been kind of Aaron Rodgers' is, you know, his, his forte, that, that pinpoint accuracy that, you know, he's really throwing it to the man who can only get it, his defender or his receiver who can get it and away from defenders. You know, to see him throw a pick, which he did in this game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's kind of a rarity to see him make a mistake. So just and, to see him throw that just laser to Jared Cook was amazing. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I think I watched it in all like six or seven times. I still couldn't believe I mean, that uh, Jared Cook had the wherewithal to get both his feet inbound. Oh, my God. You know, you talked about going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and how Aaron Rodgers could be better than Brett Favre. I mean, maybe this is my bias because it just happened the other day, but... I mean, listen, Brett Favre is an amazing quarterback, but I am sitting here thinking, I think Aaron Rodgers could be better. I mean, Brett Favre was known for being a gunslinger, for being a guy who would air it out sometimes, you know, to the, you know, to the disadvantage of his team because he got trigger happy. He would throw some interceptions. Aaron Rodgers. Gunslinger, the traditional gunslinger. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is doing this all by himself. So I, I gave praise to the Cowboys. They did every friggin' thing they could. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was doing spin moves. Des Bryant was catching Pat. Like, they did. They played amazing football. But they had to play amazing football because in the first half of this game, and really throughout the whole game, Aaron Rodgers could not be stopped. I mean, as soon as he had the ball, the first three drives that they had, they went right down the field and with no challenge whatsoever. We talked about how Aaron Rodgers was going up against probably the best defense in this playoffs with the New York Giants. And he still found a way to kind of survive that team. Now, the the weak spot for the Cowboys was their defense. You know, not bad. We talked about Sean Lee. We talked about, you know, the, the secondary would have to step up. Aaron Rodgers did whatever the fuck he wanted to do. He was throwing the ball everywhere he wanted, and it was perfect. I mean, earlier in the game, he had a third down and seven pass to Jared Cook that was breathtaking just to keep yeah. the drive going. And then... Have you heard this story about how Aaron Rodgers drew up that final pass play, like, in the dirt? Have you heard about this? No, I did not. I completely missed it. The story they're saying is that apparently Aaron Rodgers literally 
kind of drew up that last pass play, that third and 20 play, after he had just been sacked. Yeah. Apparently he drew it up in the dirt, like a schoolyard play, just kind of put it together and was like, you go here, you go here, and I'm going to throw here, and you're going to catch the ball. That's the whole play. Well, these are the stories that legends have built on. I mean, you look at that pass. That pass to Jared Cook was... I mean, who makes that pass? Anybody other than Aaron Rodgers. It was really... And, and now, listen. There were other playmakers on the Packers. There absolutely were. You know, Jared Cook was was the recipient of two of the greatest passes that Aaron Rodgers threw in that game. Let's talk about the Packers on the defensive side of the ball. Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde had some of the best plays in the game. He ended up sacking, uh, I think, Dak Prescott. Not to mention... And now, listen... The Cowboys did many things very, very well. But one of the reasons they lost this game, in my opinion, is because that they made certain key mistakes. They were in the red zone on the two-yard line when Micah Hyde read the entire play, jumped the route, and picked off Dak Prescott before they even said hi. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was such a good... Heads up play. He read it all the way. He never, he never bit on the receiver. Like he, he keyed it on the quarterback the entire time. He, as soon as the play started, he immediately just spied the quarterback, and it, it was just amazing. They followed through. I can't believe Prescott still ends up throwing that pass. You know, when Micah Hyde was literally eyeballing him, making eye contact. Dude, it was him. like Micah Hyde was in the huddle. And and another yeah. credit to the Cowboys. As soon as they turn that ball over. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd have to take a look, but I think the Packers go three and out. They end up punting it. The, the Cowboys go all the way back down the field and score the touchdown. God bless yeah. them. It, it shows their resilience. If anything, it shows, you know, everything we have to look forward to with this Cowboys team. But unlike Aaron Rodgers, it's like, listen, it, football's a game of inches, and that interception was a big mistake. And there was a couple yeah. other sort of questionable mistakes throughout the game, you know, where you look back and you're like, eh, you know, that could have been the difference maker. I mean, in the first the first drive of the game for the Cowboys, they ended up coming away with a long field goal. There was a couple of plays early on where you're sitting there going, maybe they should have just run the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, but instead they decided to throw it. And, you know, it's hard to think about that when you're thinking in the first quarter of the game. But when you think of the game as a whole, you know, that's four, the fact, yeah. that's four points that could have made the difference between a win and a loss. That's very true. I mean, when you look at the numbers, just the overall numbers by the game itself, it, it, it's almost like the Dallas Cowboys were playing themselves. I know. I think it's virtually totally identical in, in time of possession, yeah. virtually identical in yards, everything. It's right. So every single every single decision you made in this game, was, you know, is a make or break kind of calculation, and it, it came right down to the very end, where it's just amazing. Three seconds left. The only thing that decided this game was time. Like it had to end at some point. Someone had to like get the last go. I mean, and I, I, I was, I honestly, I, I thought, you know, the Packers had the early momentum, and, and for some, for some magic, they were able to hold on for as long as they did, and you could see the Cowboys busting out, you know, towards that fourth quarter, and I was like, the only thing I could think of was if this thing goes to overtime, the Packers might be screwed because you know this beast is, is coming awake, and I don't think I, I said this before, if the Cowboys can get Ezekiel Elliott involved and let him run all day, the Packers are in trouble. Yeah. And he, for the most part, he ran on them all over. Yeah. For some I, reason, and you can look at this down the road, Monday morning quarterback, why didn't they give him the ball more, yeah. you know, just yeah. to kind of just dominate. 
and right. and you can't knock them too much because everybody else played very well. You know, Prescott. Yeah. You know, aside from that pick, you know, he was playing very well. He made a couple of first downs with his legs. Des Bryant had some amazing catches. Cole Beasley had some amazing catches. Everybody played really well, but yeah. When you think about the fact that they probably could have gotten a little bit more damage on the ground with Ezekiel Elliott, you're right. Monday morning quarterback hindsight, it's easy to say shoulda, woulda, coulda, but, I mean, that could have been the difference maker in the game. Very well, in terms of, uh, you know what, it would be probably a different scenario if the Cowboys weren't playing from behind. Yeah. And, and if they were up and they were running the football. And that, that's something else i got to mention to everyone out there is – it can't be negated the fact the Cowboys start the drive they start the game off they kick a field goal the Packers proceed to score three straight touchdowns I I mean at that point listen you and I both picked the Cowboys to win this game but once I saw that happen I was like this is Packers all the way they cannot stop Aaron Rodgers I don't even care how exciting the Cowboys offense gets they still can't stop Aaron Rodgers and that was the story of the game because the Cowboys they had to play from behind the thing that amazed me was that the Cowboys were able to come all the way back and tie it. Because, listen, Dak Prescott's still a rookie. Ezekiel Elliott's yeah. still a rookie. I'm still looking at these guys saying, this is a divisional playoff game in your own house, and for the first time I think you guys are really starting to see what it means to deal with NFL-level pressure, and you're not just playing against any old team. You're playing against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This is a guy who is an absolute force to be reckoned with at this point in time. So I thought, you know, listen, I thought they were going to put on a good show maybe make it a game, but inevitably lose. To see them tie it, that's what surprised me. But it it was still like, yo, you're still not going to stop Aaron Rodgers, and the end of the game proved that. You still couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers. It took a 50-yard field goal from Mason Crosby, but, I mean, hey, for as uh, as much as we've been knocking kickers, these two kickers did their jobs. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and you're absolutely right. Those three touchdowns really just changed the story of this altogether. Because imagine... Imagine a scenario where the Cowboys are up a touchdown. Mm-hmm. They run the football. It changes the time of possession. Oh, yeah. changes the field offense. changes everything. And yep. it really, you know, it forces the Cowboys to kind of play the Packers game. Yeah. Which is the long ball. And, you know, that's why Des Bryant has such a monster game. It's kind of been not a knock necessarily, but the Prescott to Des Bryant connection has been there, but not in the dominant way you'd look at no. for your traditional NFL quarterback to wide receiver. You know, carrings. No. So it, it was it, at this point. It was pretty much they forced the hand, and that press got delivered. Unfortunately, it just was not enough. It was just too little, too late. Um, this was a game for the ages. This was truly an instant classic. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Shaka and I certainly enjoyed it. You know, g- congratulations to the Cowboys fans and their team. Hell of a season, but you guys are going home. Sad to say. Um, you got such a young team, though. Such I mean, a young. So, so much to look forward to. So much to look forward to. There's still so much that, I mean, this is just the beginning. If this is what your rookies are doing, uh, you guys have nothing to be disheartened about. Now, let's shift to the other NFC matchup, the Falcons and the Seahawks. The Falcons end up winning pretty convincingly 36-20. Um, this game definitely had fewer fireworks. Um, probably the, 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 I mean, I don't know if I, I want to say it's the least exciting game of the season or of the weekend. The Steelers-Chiefs game had a lot of defense. This certainly had a lot of touchdowns in it. Yeah. Um, this one played out, I think, very similar to what we thought it was going to do. Um, you know, we knew it was going to be a grudge match, but I think everybody kind of felt, or maybe, or at least you and I felt, the Falcons' offense was so high-powered, it was going to be hard to see the Seahawks actually slowing them down. Now, the thing I want to throw out your way first is my opinion is that the Seahawks were completely depleted with injuries. The Earl Thomas injury 
just opened them up to be so susceptible. I've been reading a lot of articles about the game. You know, they had a great game plan with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. It's already looking like Kyle Shanahan's going to be a head coach of the Niner, the 49ers. Um, he, you know, he ran Julio Jones not up the sideline, but he had a lot of Julio Jones in-breaking routes where he went to the middle of the field. That kind of drew Richard Sherman away from the sideline, pulling Richard Sherman out of his comfort zone. And then, you know, you saw enough of the run game. You know, that was the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And then you look at the offensive side of the ball. What's been the problem with the Seahawks all season? The offensive line. And, and what happened? Their right guard got hurt in the first quarter, and they brought in a no-name. And, I mean, it was, that was the end of the game. When, when he came in at offensive line, and essentially he let up a sack – and then the very next play steps on Russell Wilson's foot and they get a safety. I mean, once that happened, I knew the game was over. I was like, there's no way this Seahawks offense is going to be able to keep up with the Falcons. Um, what are some of the things you saw in this game? Well, I, I think you, you, you hit on the, the one point that I kind of pointed out to friends. is just, you know, and I always said, I was like, you don't know what kind of offense you're going to see from the Seahawks. You're going to get that you know, snappy, high-potent, dangerous offense that you're going to get. This kind of Swiss cheese, pocket-collapsing, you know, on display to find a pressure of Seahawks. And I think we got a little bit of both. I just yeah. the game, you saw that Seahawks' potential is to why they're still, you know, always a dangerous team and you can't write them off. Because they went right down the field, they marched down the field on the Falcons, mm-hmm. and they put up seven right away. I mean, that opening but, drive you know, was breathtaking. It was promising. I, you know, and I was like, okay, we got a football game here. We just might have you know, the Seahawks bring out their best face. And just like you said, you know, the offensive line, as time went on, and even in, the, in that first drive, you could see at times where the pocket broke down and you just had to see Russell Wilson do what makes him such a versatile player. Mm-hmm. He had to run the football, he had to scramble to get those first downs. You know, but over time, it's just how much of that we're going to have to do for the entire game before the Falcons defense starts keying on these, you know, these pocket collapses and yeah. just his favorite targets. So it wasn't always productive. And before long, the offensive line actually ended up being, you know, a hindrance, right? Yeah. Like you said. I mean, it, he ended up stepping on his foot for the safety, which oh. was just, I mean, brutal. Now, something I want to mention that I, I heard on another podcast, which actually came out and was pretty apparent, was um, in the middle of the game, they tried to put the, the hurt offensive lineman back on the field. He played. Huh? He played a couple of plays, and then he came back out because I think he was hurt. But what does that tell you about how much confidence they had in his backup? Absolutely zero. I mean, that, you're basically playing with you know you're playing with the bottom of the barrel, what you have, and it's just you know you'd rather have the injured guy in than a healthy but you know inexperienced player. It's 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 a bad sign. And if you look at you know I'm actually I'm looking at some of the stats of the game right now. The Falcons, again, you know, this was another, like Aaron Rodgers and the Cowboys defense, they did whatever they wanted. You look at these drives, I mean, they had multiple drives of, here, nine plays, 99 yards, 13 plays, 75 yards, uh, eight plays, 46, all of these long, minute-long drives, I mean... They did whatever they want. They took up time. They they dominated time of possession. They went down the field and they scored. I mean, yeah. the only difference was that uh, you know, their defense, you know, their defense put up a pretty good game. But you know, I mean, listen, there was there was a couple of flashy plays for the Seahawks, but inevitably, you know, they started they were behind. They started chucking the ball. Russell Wilson threw a couple of interceptions, and I mean, that's the game. Like this was. 
I mean, I don't want to say Seattle mailed it in. They didn't mail it in by by any means whatsoever, yeah. but they were just depleted with injury. They ran they out of gas. This is just, you know, you're, you throw rocks at, like, an, a fully loaded army here. Just, yeah. They didn't have a chance. And even that one interception that Wilson threw towards the end of the game, I mean, it was a catch. Uh, and two defenders wrestled out of the ground. Oh, my God. He's still going on, and he, he popped the football out. So... You know, even when you're 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 making plays happen, you're just getting it snatched away from you, and that mm-hmm. pretty much ended the game. Yeah, I mean, this was this game didn't have too many surprises. I think we all expected a little bit more from the Seahawks D. Um, it was just you know, at one point, Michael Bennett was hurt and had to leave the game. I mean, he came back yeah. and played, but I mean, when I saw him go down, I was like, "This is over." They've got there's just too many injuries on both sides of the ball for Seattle, and this Falcons team. I mean, they are burning down defenses. And, you know, the, the Falcons' defense, they weren't bad. They, I mean, they did their job, which was more than I could say for the Cowboys' defense, which, and listen, I think the Cowboys' defense and the Falcons' defense are both, you know, not terrible, but not amazing. But, you know, it's like, listen, the Falcons' defense was dealing with Russell Wilson. And uh, that's actually, you know, this is a nice segue into, you know, now we need to start talking about this NFC Championship game, which is going to be the Falcons and the Packers. Yeah. You know, I I look at this Falcons team, and like I I told you over the weekend when we were texting, just the Falcons, they used every weapon in the tool shed. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, there's so much variety, so much versatility. You look at the numbers across the board, you know, everyone had a solid game, but when you put that all together, it's like, my God, how do you stop that where you have guys who are interchangeable? a running back and mm-hmm. wide receiver who mm-hmm. can all hurt you. And then you have this dynamic quarterback who hasn't been in the playoffs in four years, but all of a sudden this season that he's having is just he's so unstoppable that it just rolls right into the postseason now. Yeah. Uh, how do you stop the Falcons offense? Well, I think we need to st- – I, I think that uh, we're officially at a point where we're in the final four. We haven't even gotten – we'll get to the AFC in a second, but the final four quarterbacks is Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Matt Ryan. So we've got three of those four quarterbacks have already won a Super Bowl. They're already, and all four of them are pretty established as pretty strong passers. I think Matt Ryan is the only one, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's had a bit of a down year. Matt Ryan has been up and down. But listen, I think Matt Ryan, you know, before Aaron Rodgers went on his tear, uh, you know, he was definitely one of the front runners for MVP. None of these teams, none of these teams have an exciting defense here. Okay, one of the one of the Super Bowl winning teams this year is going to be an offense that burns you down. Yeah, <laughs> so, which is kind of ironic when you think about last year, how many teams or how many commentators just spoke about how invaluable having a, a solid NFL defense would you know would, would give you championships. And you look now and you look at the four quarterbacks are assembled and they're all MVP type candidates mm-hmm. at some point in their careers and just. You know, offensively, just monsters. And and they're and how all. Do you, how do you answer that? They're all playing with. I mean, not bad defenses, but they're all middle of the pack defenses. Possible, the Patriots yeah, they're D. Okay defenses. They're not anything to write home about. There's nothing you're gonna look back at. No, you know, and, they've, and got, they've got a few. About the defense. You know, they got a few key players. Each team has a couple of key players to look for. But I don't know if any of these defenses sort of are gonna slow down. They're going to try to slow down some of these quarterbacks because now let's talk about this. Let's talk about this Falcons-Packers game. So 
I don't know if I trust the Packers' defense to slow down Matt Ryan, but I don't know if I trust the Falcons' defense to slow down Aaron Rodgers. And I'm looking right now, Vegas is saying the over-under for the total score of the game might be 60-some-odd points. So you're talking about, you know, these two, you know, Falcons-Packers played in Week 11, and the Falcons won 33-32. Yeah, this is going to be a barn burner for sure. It's it's going to be that close. I, I think it's still a game where you're just going to kind of have to hope that there's one or two big defensive stops. You know, much like this Cowboys-Packers um, game that we just watched. Yeah. It, it, it could go on all night. So at some point, someone's going to have to win because the time runs out. Yeah. You know. I, I so mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, this is going to be a hard pick for me just because uh, this both teams can easily light up the scoreboard. Yeah. I, I am really, really lost at trying to figure out who's going to win this game. I, you know, it'll be in Atlanta. You know, I know you know they're going to have some home fields. I think Atlanta is clicking on all cylinders. You know, they're the team that's kind of, you know, the Packers have had to throw together some things. They're dealing with injuries. Right. There's a very good chance that Jordy Nelson again will not play. Um, there, of course, you know they're dealing with Ty Montgomery. Ty Montgomery had a great season. He had two rushing touchdowns in this game against the Cowboys. But Ty Montgomery is sort of this converted running back situation you know like this is the Packers are a team that have had to put something together this whole time Falcons are kind of doing everything that they've been doing since the very beginning of the season if anybody is more geared up to continue on the path they're going it's the Atlanta Falcons but Shaka I'm telling you right now this is the second straight week that I have bet against Aaron Rodgers I picked the Giants I was wrong I picked the Cowboys. I was wrong. The last time I did something like this was 2007 when I bet against the New York Giants in every single playoff game. They played Jeff Garcia and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I thought the Buccaneers were going to win. I was wrong. Then they played Tony Romo and the Cowboys. I thought the Cowboys were going to win. I was wrong. Then they played the Packers in the championship game. I thought Brett Favre was going to win. I was wrong. And then they played the 16-0 Patriots in the Super Bowl, and I thought the Patriots were going to win. I was wrong. I mean, that's a long line of still looking back at it. I mean, of, uh, you know, it, those are hard picks, and I would probably go on the same way. Even that, back then, Jeff Garcia, but that Tampa Bay team was, it was pretty good. They were pretty good. And the, listen, the Giants were 9-7, and seven, and no one thought they were going to run the table, certainly not against perfection. Now, I, um, I read this. Aaron Rodgers is 10-6, and six and he's running the t- I mean, listen, he was 4-6 and six until he beat my Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. It, it's all been so damn unlikely it's not a surprise and I'm I'm probably going to pick against the Packers in this one too there's um, these two Packers fans I don't know if you read this article who um, put $300 down on a team that's going to run the table all the way to the Super Bowl and they picked the Packers so right now there's $300 <laughs> worth about $30,000 and um, I thought they might have fucking cashed out already but they're going to keep on um, they're going to let it ride they said they're going to pick the you know Packers again over the Falcons, which they'll win about eighty thousand. And I forgot what the total is if they win the Super Bowl, but Oof. it's just it's madness. Uh, the Packers should not be here. So um, I, you know everyone everyone with a brain has been betting against them. But uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow miraculously pull this one out. But I'm still got to I got to go Falcons on this. Okay, all right. So listen, if 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 we're picking a winner for this game, you're going with the Falcons. That's what you're telling me. I mean, the, the personnel, there's just there's just too much interchangeable parts on uh, on that Falcons offense. You, you know, it's just, it's just how do you want to be killed? Are you gun, knife, 
rocket launcher. It's just you know, it, there's too many weapons. Okay, okay. I'm uh, I'm gonna pick the Packers. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna pick the Packers. I'm listen. I uh, I am amazed by the Falcons. I'm amazed by their firepower. I'm amazed by their poise. You know, they're doing all of the right things, but the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the the untangibleness of Aaron Rodgers right now, his ability to literally make something out of nothing, his ability to make passes when there aren't passes. I mean, I have so much confidence in his ability to burn down defenses right now that, I mean, the difference maker between a win and a loss, in my opinion, is a couple of mistakes. You know, the Cowboys made a couple of mistakes, and that was all it took for Aaron Rodgers to come out on top when the clock hit zero. I kind of think, even though you're in Atlanta, you you hear you see where I'm going with this, though, right? Yeah. I think that I think the Falcons are just going to make one or two mistakes here or there, and I think it's going to be the difference between Aaron Rodgers winning by three points and the Falcons winning by three points. Look, this is exactly what we talked about before. Where do you have a team like the Falcons? I mean, this is my this is the one reason why I'm giving the Falcons the edge. We talked about how the Cowboys. We expect them to win because they just have all the tools in the tool shed. They they were supposed to go up on this Packers team and then run basically run them into submission, and mm-hmm. that did not happen. Yeah. Now you look at the Atlanta Falcons team; it's pretty much the same thing, I'd say. Except their wide receivers are a lot stronger mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. their core. When you got a Taylor Gabriel, mm-hmm. you got a Tevin Tevin Coleman who can you know easily line up in the slot or in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Austin Hooper, they, they, they got so many, you know, intangible weapons and just so much flexibility that I think the likelihood for mistakes is a, is a, a lot uh, a lot less yeah. than yeah. with the Cowboys. Uh, I, I just think, I don't expect them to fall behind as quickly yes. as the Cowboys did. Which, which was the huge difference maker in that game. You see, because Cowboys falling behind changed the entire frame of the game. And you know, with the Falcons and the Packers, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think they're gonna go. They're gonna go punch for punch. Like I, I, think, I, I mean, I don't I see the Falcons falling like, behind by like two touchdowns. That I don't see happening. Imagine a guy like Julio Jones who changes the outcome of a game with one deep pass. Yeah, you know, that Packers secondary is it, it's it's questionable to the point where I wonder just what they're gonna be able to put up against Julio Jones mm-hmm. when you got when and you just look at some of those plays against the Seahawks. Which is still a pretty damn good defense yes. in the second day. Where like they were lining up in the red zone, they had two receivers, you know, they would have Julio Jones line up with another guy right next to him in trips formation and literally snap the ball and Julio Jones just turns to catch and the other guy just blocks. Yeah. And you know, it, it's it, it, it's hard to kind of figure out how exactly you're gonna handle these matchups, you know, and they could just, just as easily do the same formation and throw a screen pass out of the backfield to a running back. I, 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 I'm, this is, the only thing I know for sure is this is probably going to be the most fun offensive game of the playoffs. Holy oh, dude, you said it. The fireworks so are going to be popping, baby. So many options. Okay. Um, so this is good. We've got a, we, This is the first time in a while you and I have disagreed. You're picking the Falcons. Yeah. I'm picking the Packers. I like this. This is a respectful. This is a respectful disagreement here. I Absolutely. think this is, this is we're valid in our arguments here. Dude, I love it. I love it when we've got parody on the show, man. Um, okay, we got to shift to AFC. So I'm going to start off with the Patriots Texans game, and again, just like the Cowboys, I want to give credit to the Houston Texans. Okay, they did not roll over. 
They played a hell of a game. They were certainly not blown out and destroyed and walked on like I think everybody thought was going to be the case. Um, we need to talk Houston Texans defense. Whitney Merciless played a fantastic game. Jadavian Clowney played a fantastic game. A.J. Bouye in the secondary. These guys are good. And they were definitely creating problems for Tom Brady. Whitney Merciless was getting into the backfield. There were some errant passes. There was definitely some timing that was broken up. Like, we cannot discredit how great a game the Houston Texans played and how much they kept kept the Texans in this game. I mean, the, the Patriots turned the ball over three times with two interceptions on Tom Brady. But I got to sum this up by saying Brock Osweiler lost the game for him. I mean, for everything they did right, Brock Osweiler just kind of killed them and shot him in the foot at the end. It's just, I mean, it's the same story all over again. And it just stings more because they weren't terrible and Brock was terrible and the Patriots blew them out 45-7. to It was the fact that it was a one-point game and they were within striking distance. And then Brock Osweiler killed them. Yeah, I, um, I listened to... Uh... I'm trying to remember if it was ESPN or uh, but there was one commentator who said this is pretty much the game that decides if you're Houston ownership, this is the game right here that should decide for you whether or not Brock Osweiler is your quarterback Ooh, yeah. moving forward. And I, at first, I thought it was kind of a ridiculous, but I thought about it, I'm like the Patriots are quintessentially. You know the the, the championship caliber team you yeah. can go up against, and every it's like year. if if you've got to beat anybody, that's the team to beat. And I think back to these uh, matchups, these um, championship matchup, uh, you know, against like Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots, and we just talked mm-hmm. about how evenly matched those teams were, and you know Peyton Manning trying to cerebrally, you know, figure out this uh, Bill Belichick, you know, schemes. Mm-hmm. It's just always just a mental matchup, and then you look at the Houston Texans and New England Patriots, and you're like. This is Brock Osweiler is what we're going to put up against. Yeah. You know, these schemes. This doesn't really seem like a realistic, even matchup. And I, again, like you said, credits to the Houston Texans defense for what they will do. You know, Brian Cushing, mm-hmm. USC kid, who's I, just so underrated. Yeah. I, they were able to, you know, give everything they had. But you know, you come into that second half and it just. They got their backs broken. Yeah, and Tom Brady didn't even have that great of a game. No, he didn't. But it was just enough where they had these big plays that just kind of chomped away at what you know the Houston the Houston Texans defense was trying to do. You know, uh, unfortunately, couldn't finish. This is really something worth mentioning. Is that uh, I think there was an expectation that the Patriots weren't going to have a lot of trouble with the Texans, which was not the case. Yeah. And this this really exposed some of the issues that the Patriots have. Um, you know, Belichick created a fantastic game plan. I mean, it's it's no secret that, you know, he will certainly attack the weakest link that he can on a team. Um, but they had some, you know, Deion Lewis, you know, they're talking a lot now how he's kind of the new Gronkowski. He's the guy who's creating these mismatches. And, you know, it was absolutely showcased in this game. Deion Lewis had three touchdowns, mind you, uh, cut by the Eagles. Just need to mention that. Um, uh, Deion Lewis had three touchdowns in this game, but also had a fumble in addition to his touchdowns. Um, he's known for his fumbles, though. He's fumbled yeah. from time to time, Deion Lewis does. But this was, you know, you know, uh, LeGarrette Blunt was not heavily featured. There was a lot of nice pass plays. There were some plays where, you know, Whitney Merciless in the front seven got into the backfield, and, you know, Tom Brady just had to chuck it up there. 
and you know, thank God Julian Edelman can make some amazing catches. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the, at least for the Patriots side, where I would look at how they analyzed the, the breakdown of this game, I felt like Tom Brady felt like they were they were they were beating themselves. Mm-hmm. They didn't. I, like not to discredit what the Texans were able to do because obviously the Texans were disrupting and they were getting in there and they were giving Tom Brady trouble. Yeah. But I think a lot of just also you can kind of factor that into a championship mentality of Tom Brady just saying we we have to play better than we did, you know, and it's just more of we're better than this. Like we shouldn't let a team of this caliber give us trouble. You know, so I, I think the Patriots just the way they look at, you know, every Every game day, the way they go through with their schemes and their, you know, their their play options, it, it, it's terrifying to think that they they look at the Houston Texans defense, which gave them so much fucking trouble, mm-hmm. and it's almost like a hiccup. To them. Yeah, and they still so, find a, I mean, they still find a way to win the game. They still find a way to cover the spread. I mean, they beat yeah. them by eighteen points, which you know is still a deception because I think the game was much closer than people think. And you know, again, listen. Brock Osweiler gave the game away. He three atrocious interceptions in the second half, which pretty much decided the game. Yeah, and and I mean, I, um, he's tr- I he was trying, he was trying, but he's just, this guy is just not the guy for the job. I I I I, I heard briefly, and it was one of the ideas thrown out there. That I thought maybe uh, someone saying put Tony Romo in that spot. Ooh, and imagine. And, you know, just from one Texas team to another. Dude. You put Tony Romo, just a quick shift. They would have had a legitimate shot to win. If Romo was under center, even Tony Romo, I think, would have had a much better shot to beat that Patriots team. Absolutely. I think think they should cut their losses. I don't know what the, the financials are, though, in terms of getting rid of a Brock Osweiler. I I think the financials really are that bad. It, It It's... I think it's going to boil down into a situation where they just keep him and ride him on the bench and pay him a lot of money. I think they have no choice. I mean, when you if they really need any kind of like reinforcement as to just that that's the move they need to make is just go back and look at his highlights. There are really not many to speak of. Especially when you had a shot to beat the Patriots in their I'm house. I'm pretty sure there's not many high points at all I can think of. I off the top of my head, maybe one or two deep passes. And even then to Hopkins, but yeah. I just I did not there. I mean, it's listen. The only one I can think of is that one he threw to Hopkins, you know, last week against uh, against who the hell did they play? Um, against the Raiders. And that's a damn long time into the that, season against uh, the Raiders' defense. That's not that good. Oh God! I just, anyway. So congratulations to the Patriots. They won this game thirty-four sixteen. The Texans, listen, they've got a lot of uh, – the defense has a lot to look forward to. J.J. Watt coming back. Jadavian Clowney looking great. they still got to figure out what's going on with that quarterback they, they situation. They came a long way. They came a long way. They did you know, come – J.J. Watt, the quarterback. I mean, right, hey, they, they, they got a playoff victory. That's, that's something. It's true. They did a lot. They did a lot this year, all things considered. Now, let's shift to the last game of the weekend. Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Kansas City Chiefs 18-16, to where they scored zero touchdowns and kicked six field goals. Okay, um, this game certainly had its fair share of defense, um, which was certainly going to be no surprise considering the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I, was, I was pretty impressed that the Chiefs were able to hold the Steelers to all these field goals, you know, because... 
if you look at the numbers, it's clear that the Steelers were able to move the ball. They were able to get into the red zone. And, you know, the Chiefs did not have a particularly strong red zone defense, but they were able to keep Pittsburgh out of the end zone, which you really got to give them credit for. But Levy and Bell ran all over them. Ran all over Kansas City. Ran all over them. Uh, he, I think he broke his own record. He broke his own rushing record for postseason uh, that he set last week. Oh my gosh! Against against the Chiefs, uh, just the way he he runs the football. I, you know, I, I honestly I have to admit I don't give him enough credit mm-hmm. for his prowess, his patience, which mm-hmm. is something that you know you always hear analysts talk about with certain running backs. But with him, it's it's almost exaggerated the slowness with yes. which he responds. To, um, the openings in the offense. And, you know, it's a great thing you're bringing up his patience and his, his you know, his, his time to react because this this game against the Chiefs, it was on display, you know, full frontal, man. <laughs> it, it was a perfect introduction if you were not familiar with it, who Le'Veon Bell and like why to, he's so celebrated. To see him get the ball... Go to the go to the offensive line and just wait a moment, just a moment. Yeah, the hesitation, the hesitation just, is enough, and it's, he's rewarded almost every single every time. time you see him come out with an extra two yards, an extra three yards, and you got Chris Collinsworth commentating the game saying, "This is so unnatural. This is so like counterintuitive to what every running back and football coach has taught and thought their entire lives yeah. is to just zoom right into the hole and punch through as much as you can get." You're seeing Levy and Bell wait there with patience and just rack up the yards. It's it's almost I don't want to it's the anti um, Ezekiel Elliott in a sense where Elliott runs through these big gaping holes at full speed, mm-hmm. you know, and he's productive. And on the other hand, it's Ezekiel Elliott doing the exact opposite of dashing for the hole I, and uh, still getting the same results. I mean, he was yeah. killing them, and and we talked about this in the in the in the preview as well. Once Derek Johnson went down on the defense for the Chiefs, their run defense was really their weak spot. And, yeah. I mean, it, it came on display in this game because they they could not deal with Levy and Bell. Um, as good as their defense has been, you know, listen, Ben Roethlisberger didn't get a touchdown. He didn't get anybody in the end zone, but he made some huge plays to Antonio Brown. Yeah. And I mean, even Justin, Justin Houston had a couple of big moments. But hey, just really not enough. And, you know, uh, this one guy, Rameek Wilson, mm-hmm. had 15 tackles. He had 15 tackles in this game. And, and so it's, it's just still, getting to the football, it wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. And, you know, this is something, you know, I'm, I hate being right here, but we talked about this in the pregame. We talked about... This, the Chiefs were not going to be able to keep up with the Steelers' firepower. And I know the Steelers kicked a bunch of field goals. I know they didn't. We've said this again. They didn't score any touchdowns, but it still didn't stop the fact that Levy and Bell held the ball and ran on all over the place. It still didn't stop the fact that uh, Antonio Brown had 100 yards receiving, and that they were able to just get big chunks of yardage, control the ball, and and still find a way to score. And then. What was even more surprising was how stout Pittsburgh's defense was. Now, I know that Pittsburgh has got a steel curtain defense from the 70s, but their defense the last couple of years has not been the same thing. And, you can, and you'll can you agree with me, Shaka. The last couple of years, Roethlisberger's been throwing the ball everywhere. You know, Roethlisberger, he had a six-touchdown game last year. That was not the Roethlisberger we saw this year. They've really been resting this offense on Levy and Bell to see Ryan Shazier and Bud Dupree hit these guys as hard as they've been hitting and getting behind 
Um, the offensive line really breaking up the pocket the way they've been doing. I mean, that's something that's really like, okay, now the Pittsburgh defense is coming on at a time when I don't think anybody was really expecting them to come on. And Kansas City's got a good – they've got an offense, but not a strong enough offense to really put enough points on the board, and we saw that in this game. I'm remiss to say that I, I get frustrated when I think of one guy who we never talk about, um, that's Martavis Bryant. Mm-hmm. Who is, I mean, as far as talent goes, about as talented a guy as you can ever see, 6'4", you know, light as a feather, kind of reminiscent in a way to a Randy Moss type of player who just makes big plays, especially in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't help but think of how depleted or how less of a team the Steelers are without him. And I think of last year when he came back from his suspension, mm-hmm. how, how just friggin' dangerous the Steelers team was and how good Ben Roethlisberger actually was throwing the football. Yeah. And you look at now, they lost him for the entire year for a drug suspension. Mm-hmm. They were a damn good team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and you can see that it really hurts uh, Ben Roethlisberger overall as a quarterback. Yeah. And, so much more of the focus ends up being on a Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, and, and uh, all the other yeah. guys on the team, you know, you know, like Sammy Coates, Eli Rogers, Marcus Wheaton, those guys really cannot replace Martavis Bryant. Because if you put yeah, Marta- they're fill-ins. You they, put- I mean, and they've done a pretty admirable job at times, but, they, you know, so many pieces to make up one player. Yeah. You know, it's not and, enough. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about Antonio Brown running, running slant routes with Martavis Bryant taking the top off the defense. I mean... How do you answer that? That's an that's an aerial game right there. So you look at it, and you look at the Steelers team, which I've said time and time again is potentially such a dangerous and such an explosive team, and the the different ways that they can hurt you. And even then, you think this is not them at their full power. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I'm still somewhat surprised they didn't score any touchdowns in this game. Six field goals, which is astonishing. But you know what? A, a W is a W, so they'll take it. And even towards the end of the game where um, our, our guy, uh, Travis Kelsey, here was mm-hmm. upset at that, that holding call. Oh, boy. Saying, you know, saying the rest took it out of their hands. I'm pretty sure that guy who got called for the fucking hold took the game out of your hands. Yeah. That was absolutely 100% a hold, a holding penalty. It was well it was well earned, and the refs caught it, and they that, they made a good call on that one, I think. Yeah, and wait, wasn't it was the holding call? Wasn't on James Harrison? Wasn't he about to destroy Alex Smith in that play? Yeah, yeah. James Harrison was practically had his like just arm barred him completely, um, uh, and you know I I don't know what Travis Kelsey was pissed off about, but I, he obviously watched that video and was in denial. It was a hundred percent yeah a penalty against the Chiefs. I mean, I I think it was just such a tough loss at the end of the game, and you know just the Chiefs had had such a good season and. It was just a shame because their offense has been so exciting. I mean, listen, not exciting, not exciting like the Falcons or the Steelers, but I mean yeah. to see the Tyree. You know, yeah. there were no Tyreek Hill plays in this game. The running game was not particularly exciting. I think Sharkandrick West fumbled the ball at one point. Um, you know, there were interceptions in this game, and the Steelers. They were the team that had the long drives. They, I know they ended in field goals, but some of these drives were long double-digit play drives that just gobbled up the clock. And I can't I can't finish talking about this game without talking about Andy Reid and the clock management at the end of the game. Oh my God. I'm I love him. I love him to death, but he's been he's been fucking up clock management in the final two minutes of a game my entire life. And I'm an Eagles fan. I'm I've seen it happen sure. time and time they, again. 
they had a seven minute drive towards in that in that final quarter where they finally ended up putting away the football and there was no urgency. They had one timeout and there was no fucking sense of urgency. I mean, dude, how about when he it's fourth down and he calls timeout after it was just a pass play and the clock was stopped? <laughs> I mean, I, dude, and, and this all, this all goes back brilliant. to the Super Bowl when the Eagles lost to the Patriots and he did the same thing in the final drive of the game. He just chewed up too much clock. I don't know how. I'm 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 baffled as to how a guy this brilliant, how so much preparation goes into his teams, and something as fundamental as that last four, three, two minutes, the management just absolutely falls to shambles. Where you know everyone else at home is like, "What are you doing? Where? Why are we not going faster?" He's so brilliant at, ev- at everything else, but yet. I mean, time and time again, he still screws this up. I, I don't get it. I, I, I mean, listen, I understand. Maybe, I mean, maybe maybe he can't get the ball down the field with Alex Smith. Maybe they can't chuck it downfield like that. And listen, would, would he have rather have had a nice systematic drive that took seven minutes, or would he have rather have gone three and out and punted it? I, I mean, yeah. listen, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but it's still, you still got to look at it and be, you know, there's a raised eyebrow. You got to look at that that play calling and that clock management at the end of the game. Speaking of management, I just have to look because there's an article shared on ESPN around 6 o'clock where Mike Tomlin, I'm I'm sure you heard about this, where Antonio Brown recorded the conversation. Oh, oh yeah, where he he Facebook-lived Tomlin's, like, post-game, you know, rant in the the locker room. I I hear Tomlin's not too happy about that. Well, Tomlin has officially thrown Antonio Brown under the bus. He uh, he apologized and said that he his 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 locker room language was regrettable, and he basically said Antonio Brown was foolish and selfish and inconsiderate to record the thing uh, and post it on Facebook. Hey man, well he does. Antonio Brown's getting a fine regardless because it violates the NFL policy. Of course, but I mean, for, I mean, I think Tomlin. I don't know if he's trying to defuse and take away kind of the the locker room ammunition from the Patriots, but. Right. The, the damage is done. Whatever's out there is out there. And I honestly, I'm not that surprised because I feel like most NFL head coaches, after you've won a big playoff game, you're amped up and of course you're just talking to the guys. Dude, there's nothing yeah. wrong. There is nothing wrong with the language he used or the things he said. Yeah. What was wrong was Antonio Brown videotaping shocking. it. I saw nothing shocking about. It. If anything, it probably humanized the the, the Steelers locker room a little bit. We saw yeah. guys were generally happy and kind of you know. The, the, the adrenaline was still kind of flowing, so and, I I saw nothing wrong with it. I'm yeah. kind of surprised. And I've seen, I've seen footage like that on NFL films before. They bleep out the cursing, but I've seen yeah, all that absolutely. stuff before. Absolutely, all the time. Where you know the, the, the coach is just showing his love and his admiration for his guys. And you know, you know listen, if he wants to throw Antonio Brown, that's that's fine. Antonio Brown was the culprit. I think. Listen, there's going to be some finger wagging behind closed doors and a few fines. Point is, everybody's getting up and they're going to go play their best football against the Patriots. Yeah, it wasn't like you weren't going to have all guns loaded for the Patriots before anyway. So it doesn't change doesn't change your approach, doesn't change your mentality going into it. Maybe the only thing I probably would be uh, you know regretful of is the media coverage of this. It's, yeah. it's a non-issue to me. Which, which is exactly what Tomlin was trying to avoid. Even in the middle yeah. of the Facebook Live, he's like, all right, guys, stay off social media. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, God, this is not going to go away. This is going to be the, the, the high mark story going into uh. this game because there was nothing 
there's nothing, you know, animosity-wise to talk about between the yeah. two teams. There's there was no Vontez perfect hits. There was no questionable yeah. call. You know, and then now all of a sudden you've got this, this thing where the coach is calling the other team assholes. Yeah, which, so, you know. Yeah, now we have, now we have drama. Dude, leave it. the The media is always going to figure out a way to make this more dramatic than it needs to be. It's still just a football game, but they've got to put stories on it. That's what their job is. That's what our job is. We got to make it fun. Let's segue right into this game. So, Patriots Steelers. Um, I know this this is very different from the AFC title game from 04, but this harkens back to we talked about this in the last podcast. Ben Roethlisberger rookie year goes 15 and one. Steelers go to the AFC title game. They play Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. They lose. Tom Brady goes and beats the Eagles to win his back-to-back Super Bowl in the third of his career. Very next year, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers go on and win the Super Bowl against the Seahawks in 05. So again, I'm thinking back to, it's like, you know, back to the future with Tom Brady and the Patriots, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. I mean, I can't think of a more exciting AFC title game. I mean, I really... There's not many other matchups that I would have been more jazzed for. Like even Chiefs Patriots, that does not sound as exciting as no. Steelers Patriots. Okay. I think it's a fair I think it's a fair assessment. It's this is a tough one for me to call. This is a really not tough one. Let's, let's talk let's talk about it a little bit. Give me some thoughts you have on this game before we pick a winner. Well, it's really the dynamic of the two teams uh going into this where you look and like you said before, the the, the Steelers defense is it's not really what it was. You had a lot of the older players who were kind of the superstars on this team. You know, they've aged and they've faded and they've retired. So the makeup of the defense itself is kind of, it's still a, lot, a little bit uncertain. It's murky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and looking at that and you look at on the other side of the football, the Patriots are kind of the same way in defense. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of tip them the advantage just because of the Bill Belichick schemes. And, you know, he, you know he's going to go into this game looking hard at the Le'Veon Bell, you know, game game day footage, mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to figure out a way to neutralize those big chunks of yardage that that guy can pick up. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's it's really kind of a cerebral match because I think also on the, the other end, you look at a Mike Tomlin and you don't give him enough credit no. for his game day preparation. Lo and behold, he's been one of the best coaches in the NFL for fucking years now. Yeah. Who, who has a Super Bowl questions. ring? Like, hello? He still gets questions. So, I, I, and you know, and he doesn't have problems with game clock management. So it's 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 hard for me to look at this objectively and to write off a Steelers team against you know this Patriots offense. But again, man, this is a really really good Final Four. Yeah. Of uh, of football that we're gonna experience. I can't fucking wait. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna have to give the slight edge, and this is only because we're talking about you know the the, the smallest edge is an advantage. And I got to go with the team that's got the home field advantage in New England. Going with the Patriots? Yeah, and I'm going to say this is going to be a close game, maybe six points. Yeah, I, um, I've um, i been thinking a lot about this game, too. This one is definitely very, very tricky. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for the Steelers' offense to explode. They've been very high-powered. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for the Patriots' offense to explode. Um the the scary thing is is that both of their both of these teams have had defenses that have gone up and down. The Steelers have had a defense that's kind of, you know, they got walked on by the Eagles in week three, and then, you know, they put on a show against some of these other teams, and you're sitting here going, which which Steelers D is the one that's gonna show up? Um 
I think that you're probably going to see a pretty good Steelers D, but I don't know if, the, like, can the Steelers D put on as much of a show as the Houston Texans D did? I don't know if they can. I'm starting to suspect that you're going to see the Patriots, you know, not doing every single thing they want to do, but they're going to find a way to put points on this Steelers defense in a way that I think the Steelers aren't going to be able to put points on the Patriots. Because I think Big Bill Belichick's going to scheme for Levy and Bell. He's going to scheme for Antonio Brown. He's going to make some of these other players beat them. I don't know if they have the depth. You were talking about how the Falcons have all of these weapons in their arsenal. I don't see the Steelers having those weapons in their arsenal. And I was talking about how they blew out the Chiefs, you know, or, or didn't blow out the Chiefs, but they had more firepower than the Chiefs. Patriots and the Falcons are not the Chiefs. Patriots have got lots of guys, even without Gronkowski. They've got so many different guys to change things up. And I'm going to agree with you, man. I'm going to pick the Patriots as well because I think this is going to be a grudge match. I think the Steelers, one of the greatest things about the Steelers is they are not intimidated by the Patriots. No. This is a team that Roethlisberger, these guys, they know they can beat the Patriots. You know, this isn't like Andrew Luck and the Colts where they've got to convince themselves that they could do this. No, 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 no. This is Mike Tomlin, Antonio Brent. These guys, they know if they play their cards right, they can go to the Super Bowl, and they're so close they can taste it. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think um, Roethlisberger, I don't want to say he's under the crime because I still, there's still times where you watch him throw the football and just the, the talent. And I, I, I talked about this before, the progression that he made from just being, you know, a, a game manager to an actual, you know, like, like a guy who gunslinger who can air the yeah, ball out. You know, he he still got that mentality. He still got that ability. I just, I'm curious to see how that translates against a Patriots defense that while isn't, you know, top of the league, can still surprise you and it still has enough, you know, talent in a Malcolm Butler who you, you put the football up, you know, in the wrong position or you, you, you try to cheat it, you know, overplay it. They can make you pay for it. Yeah. Turnovers are big in games like this. Yeah. I think Bill Belichick's, I think he's going to want to stuff the box, and I think he's going to want to force Roethlisberger to throw, which, you know, Roethlisberger can do, but maybe, maybe when we start seeing him throw, we might remember the fact that he tore his meniscus in his knee and had surgery on his knee earlier this year. Yeah. And it's been showing throughout the season. My God. You know, it's. You, you want to talk about thing. drama? Yeah, hey, nobody's mentioning the fact that two months ago the guy had surgery on his knee. And uh, what did I say happened? Uh, basically, a meniscectomy, or what do they call it? They, where they basically took, they just removed the cartilage, like they didn't oh. repair it. They just took it out completely. Just took it out and I said, didn't know it was a thing. and said, walk it off, walk it off. It's, just, it's unbelievable. The things we do for for love. Wow, <laughs> for the love of the game. Um, yeah, right. All right, I think that's about it, man. That was that was quite a bit of stuff we walked down. That was a hell of a slate of games. We've got a nice couple of games coming up this weekend. NFC Falcons-Packers is sure to be loaded with fireworks. Steelers-Patriots will probably have a different brand of fireworks. There might be some jawing. There might be some uh, some some pushing, some shoving, or as my brother would say, it's going to be a fun weekend, man. I'm really, really, really... I, the, I think we've gotten... You can't look at any of these four teams and say none of them deserve to be here. No. I'm really, really excited. Absolutely not. what we got laid out here. I, uh, I will say, this season, the 2016 season, is uh, the playoffs are definitely shaping up. This is worth the price of admission. I am not disappointed. Uh, I'm a little sad there's not uh, some better defenses left, but uh, you know what? 
touchdowns and offenses lead to a lot of fireworks and a lot of exciting football. And uh, sign me up. Amen, brother. All right, that's about it for uh, the show. Everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking in. Hopefully this gave you some some insight and illustrated uh, this past uh, slate of games and this upcoming slate of games a little bit uh, a little bit more for you. You can understand a little bit better. Uh, I'm going to sign us off. As always, um, thanks for listening. Uh, uh, like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. And, of course, email Shaka and I with any questions you have or thoughts you'd like us to discuss on the podcast at samsportsstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. But on that note, yo, man, we got to get Audi 5000. There's some football coming up. Shaka, you got any closing thoughts for us before we get out of here? As always, a blessing, guys. Um, And... Again, I can't wait to do this next week and we can go over these amazing games and talk about who's going to take this shit in the Super Bowl. Dude, Super Bowl is so close, I can taste it. But we must go through the final four first and it's going to be a hell of a weekend. Everyone, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the games. You know Shaka and I will be watching them and enjoying them just as much, if not more than you. Um, and probably. we will be, <laughs> probably <laughs> we'll be back, we'll be back next Tuesday to break it down and give you all the scoops on all the games. And but on that note, we Audi five thousand. Bye bye guys. Bye guys. Enjoy the games.